Amen. Now, just a kindred, I would have to um, say that's exactly how I felt. Uh, just a kindred spirit and um, being in Christ, we are family. And um, amen. And what's exciting is that one day you'll meet people in South Africa. Uh, you'll meet people on, on the other face of this, uh, this planet that you had never the opportunity to meet, but you had the opportunity to give so that they might be saved, so that they might hear the gospel. And they were just like you, lost, undone, without any hope, but uh, found Christ. And that kindred spirit and that new life, all things have become new, than they had just like you have. Amen. And they serve the same Savior. They have the same Word of God. And they have that same desire to see others saved. And that's really what missions and mission conferences are about. Uh, the Bible says to look, to raise up your eyes and look unto the harvest. Amen. And the Bible says, My, mine eye hath affected my heart. And uh, it's very important that we actually take a look and view from the Word of God what God would have us to do as a church. And I say us, you, Paul, I remind you, Paul said to a church, he said, ye are the body of Christ, but he wasn't even a member of that church. And that's the local church, amen? amen. So I shouldn't say us in this case, but you ought to consider what the Lord would have you to do in this next year for faith promise missions giving and missions around the world and in this region and uh, God always does call His church to be a lighthouse and to be a witness beyond their realm, even in this world. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. I'm a, while you're turning, I'll <clears throat> take a little bit to introduce myself. There's so much I always like and want to say, uh, but um, I'll be preaching a couple more times so I can fill some of those gaps. I'll actually tell you a story maybe tomorrow about Brother Kuzel. Brother Kuzel and I say, you want to be here. You want to be here. It's a good one, okay? And, of course, it's a true story, of course, Boy Scouts honor. And uh, you won't want to miss that. I can already tell you that right now. But in Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at a text this morning. I'm a second-generation missionary, second generation. You meet sometimes a second-generation pastor, a second-generation missionary, uh, I was drugged to church. I had no choice in it. Amen. And uh, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. Yeah. By the way, the way he should go and the way he would go are worlds apart. Amen. But I was trained and I was taught the Word of God. Amen. Amen. And it became my convictions. It became my convictions. When I left then my, the household and I went on on my own, I was convicted that the Word of God is the truth, Amen. is the truth. Amen. That there is no other salvation given amongst men whereby we must be saved but through Christ and through His blood. I was, I was convinced of that because I was taught that. Amen. Amen. Just like we heard this morning, by the way, may I plug this in, we need to teach our children that and train up children to one day, listen, be convicted and stand exactly on those truths. Amen. They're God's truths. They're not man-made truth that changes, sand ever-shifting, but it is the foundational truth, and it is the rock that never changes. Only God never changes. 
No, only God. I said only God never changes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Every good, good and perfect gift coming from above, above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen. I remember preaching a series once out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, or 1 Timothy, but chapter 3, then it says in verse 1, He that desireth the office of a bishop, what? Desireth a what? Good thing. A good thing. You know, and I've... I've Concluding in my life, and my desire is to live a life so that they that are raised in the church there in Ingolstadt, Germany, desire and know that's a good thing. That's a good thing. In Germany, where I'm at, it's staunchly Catholic, staunchly Catholic. And I'll tell them sometimes, they'll say, well, what do you do? And I'll say, well, I'm a preacher. And they say, oh, you're a priest. But they say it. Not like, oh man, you're a priest, but they say, oh, you're a priest. As if I had leprosy. You know what I mean? Ugh, ugh. Well, listen, to desire the office of a bishop, desire to be used of God in whatever shape or manner he will then call your children to be, listen, that's a good thing. And I want to live a life where they can look at that and they can say, you know what, a preacher is not a, 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 a lame duck. A, a big dud or something like that, but it is exciting to serve the Lord, and it is a desirous thing. Amen. It's a desirous thing. And listen, your preacher gets up here every week and preaches, but your children see your life every day. Now, who's going to influence them more? You. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. And you can also be an influence that they desire, listen, a good thing. And the off of the bishop is, or whatever the Lord might call them to do. Look with me in Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at a... This is not a sermon, actually, I enjoy preaching. Nor is it a truth that I, I glory in, that it is so. But it is truth. Follow with me in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Watch, Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. Lord, we desire truth, reality, how things really are. I believe every man in his soul has a, has a thirst and a hunger for you. And you've put it in there. And you are truth. 
You do give us reality. Tell us how it is. Lord, may we be, allow ourselves to be confronted with how things really are. May we have ears to hear. Lord, I pray that whether lost or saved, whether old or young, that you might deal with a heart. Lord, that we might have compassion and see the need for us to be soul winners. Because people don't just die and go somewhere, but most people die and spend eternity in hell, in a lake of fire. Lord, that we might realize, that we might lift up our eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. There was once a rich man. <clears throat> he had enjoyed the finer things of life. He had art. He had many accomplishments and things. And the doctor, which the town doctor, which was a good friend of his, told him, tonight you will die. There's no doubt in my mind, you will not see the light of day tomorrow. So he called his wife in and he instructed his wife and said, listen, I've packed a suitcase with my most valuable and prized possessions. Not necessarily valuable by, by the world's eyes and things, but what was valuable to him? And he said, I've packed them in a suitcase. I want you to take them and put them up in the attic. And when I pass then tonight, I'll drift through the attic. I'll grab my suitcases and I'll be on my way or the suitcase. <laughs> sure enough, he died. His wife then went up to the attic, looked, and the suitcase was still there. And she said, I knew it. He went the other way. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is this. Man doesn't dis dissipate and not exist anymore. But the Bible gives us this. The Bible tells us this. As it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Listen, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, I think, in 44, 46, and 48, three times, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. There's a place where a person spends eternity. There are two different places we will look at concisely and specifically in the Word of God. Two ways you can go. Two ways. There's a broad way, there's a narrow way. There's a way that leadeth unto life, and there's a way that leadeth unto damnation. There are two ways. Somebody says, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't think that way. I don't accept that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what we think or how we feel. But based on the Word of God and the truth from God, listen, you didn't decide to be born, did you? Did you one day say, you know what, I, I, think, I'll, I, I think I'll be born? No. God placed you into this world. God had you born. And by the way, you breathe His air. You live by His time. Nobody here can say, I tell you one thing, next year I'll be doing this or I'll be doing that. That's what the Bible says is foolishness. Because nobody has a guarantee you'll even see the next day. Just like the story we just talked about. You don't even have any guarantee that you'll draw the next breath. Or hear the next sermon being preached. But you live in God's time. 
And God, who is God alone, said, listen, you will spend eternity somewhere. The Bible gives us the example here of a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. By the way, may I just say this real quickly. If you were to study and look the preceding chapters, Jesus actually started teaching in parables. In the second year of his ministry, he didn't start with parables in the first year from the get-go from his ministry, but in the second year. And the Bible says this, it kind of, it was the wonder years, the years where they were just amazed at Jesus' teaching and words and authority and all that. But then it says, but they became dull of hearing. And he said, all right, listen, listen. He said, all right, listen, you don't want to hear. And he actually, by mercy and grace, stooped down more to their level and started laying to a heavenly truth parallel an earthly story. And he started teaching by parables. Oftentimes confronting, watch, the officialdom of Israel, Pharisees and scribes, and he teaches by parables, and he teaches by parables, and you can go back and see there's parable after parable after parable. But watch, this story here is not a parable. Nor does it bear the marks of a parable. Watch, a parable is just a story. Never really happened. Never, those people never existed. Therefore, there's no names to be named in a parable. But he's, watch, he's telling the Pharisees, if you don't want to hear my teaching, if you don't want to receive the parables, watch, this really happened and this will really happen to you. Now, it takes a little more study to get those kind of things out of the Word of God, but that's why we preach the Word of God. That's why we preach the Word of God and expound the Word of God. So follow with me in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Somebody says, well, I don't understand. Why didn't he name the rich man? Well, maybe, maybe you haven't been here very long in North Pole, Alaska. I, first time I, the preacher called me up and he said, hey, I want you to come up to North Pole, Alaska. And I almost laughed. I thought, is it really North Pole, Alaska? <laughs> I thought, you never know. Preachers pull each other's legs all the time, you know. And, uh, and I'm always goofing around with these guys and them with me. And that's fine. That's fine. Praise the Lord. We have fun. Amen. And I, I think a Christian should have fun and should have joy. Amen? Amen. He made us to live. Gave us life more abundantly. Praise the Lord. But I thought, North Pole, Alaska. Good night. <laughs> but I, 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 I like it here. I really do. But maybe you've been here for a very short time and you don't know, but maybe you've been here a longer time. Now, I've been in Ingolstadt, Germany since 2006. The Lord had me start the work there in 2007. I'll be showing the video tomorrow if you need to be here. But if you were to tell me in Ingolstadt, Germany, headquarters of Audi, 43,000 people work directly for Audi in Ingolstadt of a city of 120,000. 43,000 people, more than a third of the people. The highest on average wages in Germany. If you were to tell me, name me some of the rich mans in Ingolstadt, I could name them just like this. The Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts, the who know. Listen, oftentimes, I don't have to tell you who the rich men here are. You know who the rich men here are. They're in the paper. Their names are on, sometimes they name roads after them and they have statues and they have all these things. They're known. 
Listen, I don't even think Jesus had to actually say who this guy was. They know the rich man. They probably knew this rich man. It was a certain rich man, by the way. Now, let me ask you this, though. On the flip side of it, how many beggars do you know? You probably, hey, you probably have some beggars here. Normally, you got beggars just about everywhere. But how many do you know by name? And there we find, watch, the mercy of God, again, the love of God. Jesus knew Lazarus. He knew him. Nobody really, I don't, I don't even know if anybody really knew Lazarus. Now watch, it does say about Lazarus and his condition, if you look very carefully, he was laid at his gate, the rich man's gate. He was laid. You know, some of these beggars, I mean, you see it, they look like they're in better shape than I am in. And I'm thinking, why are you begging? You know what I mean? Now, beggar, listen, Lazarus wasn't some kind of beggar that could have worked, but decided, I'm not going to work. He was laid at his gate. Maybe not even voluntarily. As far as we know, never got to the house door. Never came closer than the gate. Somebody says, it must be nice to be laid at a rich man's gate. Uh, some of them, hey, some of the most stingy people in the world are rich people. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. How did the rich man treat him? What does the Bible say? He was fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. I submit unto you, the rich man could have fed him the very same stuff he ate every day, and it probably wouldn't have cost him this much or changed his finances this much. But only the crumbs... Hmm. beggar named Lazarus, and he names him by name. You know, it's very interesting. I'll just shift gears real quickly here. It's interesting to me that he was named Lazarus. You know, at the end of the portion of text, the rich man actually says, could you send Lazarus back to warn my brothers? And Jesus said, no. It's, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Abraham says, no. And he says, no, 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 listen, Abraham, if, if someone was raised from the dead, they would believe. He said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. They don't believe them. Even if, hey, even if someone was raised from the dead, they won't believe. You know, you might be, sometimes you read the Bible and you scratch your head and you think, I think, I think they would. That is the, hey, that is the biggest miracle ever that somebody is raised from the dead. Watch. A man named Lazarus, not the same Lazarus, was raised from the dead, and they didn't believe. Exactly what Abraham said happened. And they chose, listen, they chose not to believe. It's not they couldn't believe. They willfully did not believe. That's exactly right. Now the rich man, watch, there's so much that the Word of God is very rich, and I actually preached a three-part series on this text. We're not going to go that long, but watch. How, what is the Bible? How does he describe him? Clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Those are the characteristics and the marks of a wealthy person, I would say, throughout all time and cultures. Throughout all time and cultures. Sometimes I... I got some young men, and I say, yeah, you, oh, 
he's interested in her and he's interested in her and and man is she beautiful and oh man is she a looker and I, I want to tell him I want to say yeah and one day you'll wish she, she could cook <laughs> we have a saying in German love goes through the stomach I think there's an equivalent in English something like that but love goes through the stomach <laughs> hey I'd rather have quality instead of quantity, wouldn't you? Somebody asked me one time, Preacher, what would you do if you had money without end? I mean, so much money and everything. And, I, and I, I answered him. I said, beyond giving God first and giving God what is his, and then beyond that, giving my offerings and, 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 and beyond the tithe, what if I didn't give would be stealing from him, but giving him more and so forth. Watch, beyond that, the first thing I do is hire a cook. <laughs> I want to drive my own Lamborghini, praise the Lord, but I want a cook that can cook healthy and it tastes good. I know it's possible, but a lot of times when you say, what are you having? Something healthy, you know exactly. Well, uh. now a good cook though can make both, amen? Amen, yeah. Hey, hey, this rich man had this. No, he did, he had this, amen. The practical preaching right there. This rich man had this. I, hey, I fare sumptuously every once in a while. I have here since I've been here, praise the Lord. But I don't fare sumptuously every day. This rich man did. And the clothes. No, man. I mean, I, I don't even know if we can imagine. But let's go on. Watch. In verse 21, And desiring to be fed from the crumb which fell from the rich man's table, more the dogs came and licked his sores, Lazarus. Verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now it came as it always comes. Ecclesiastes talks about this. Nobody escapes it. Sometimes we say the great equalizer. Because the rich die just like the poor. They die. But never can you find, or never do we find, that Lazarus was buried. It doesn't say it. But you know, a, a funeral, you've probably noticed this, is for the living, not for the dead. <laughs> and the food at a funeral is for the living, not for the dead. So here's the wonderful thing. Let's start with the rich man. Oh, he was buried. Now, can you imagine the burial of the rich man? Can you imagine the hearse and the followings and the big wigs that are there and the swollen words, probably not even the true words spoken about him, and oh, he was so good, and maybe they put a statue up, maybe they did all this, but watch. But he never ever saw, heard, or tasted any of it. He never did. Never did. We'll get to what... What came next for him? But watch, Lazarus was buried, and this is what matters. The angels carried him into Abraham's bosom. Now this is what's wonderful. Listen, when a believer, one that is in Christ, one that has been made righteous, not of his own righteousness, but the righteousness of God that he received by believing, watch, watch. In the moment he passes from this life to the eternal life to come, there is immediate comfort for those that are in God and in Christ. 
No, what's going to come now? No fear? Is there anything more, how do I want to put it, any more endearing, comforting, tender than being carried by the angels? I think not. And he was in Abraham's bosom, in paradise. What came next for the rich man, the Bible says in verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes. I was once studying this out, going through my notes on a plane, and a man leaned over and he said, oh, the rich man and Lazarus. And he said, do you know that the rich man, from the time he died to the time he actually opened his eyes in hell, hundreds of years, maybe even past. And I said, I find that very hard to believe, actually impossible, because he actually did say, would you go back and tell my brothers? <laughs> no, the Bible doesn't give us any reason other to believe and conclude that immediately he opened his eyes in hell. In hell. It says, watch, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and St. Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You know, I like fire. I like a fireplace. I do. I, I think the comfort and the warmth of a fire is like none other. You can get your space heaters out and you can have them all. I want a fire. <laughs> but I don't like to be in a fire. In the short times I've experienced that kind of pain, I don't think there's physically anything worse than the pain caused by fire. Now watch, there's always been a discussion, and for those that know the Word of God, it's, it's, a, it's a vain discussion, really, but there's always been a so-called so theological discussion whether all this language, watch, is to be taken literally or figuratively. The fire, the smoke ascending forever and ever, watch. Is, is, now, some would say, now, being in hell isn't like a real, real fire. But it's just like, you're not really, really there. I want to say, really, you're not really, really there? Like with, wait a minute, he opened his eyes. <laughs> he wanted somebody to touch his tongue. Now that sounds pretty tangible and touchable. Sounds like I've got a body parts in hell. Sounds like I'm really there. Not just a bad dream there, something floating somewhere. Sounds like I'm really there. I want to call your attention to something. I, I got out my Webster's 1828. Most preachers have one. And I looked up the word figurative. Now you got to get this. Figurative means this, representing something else, representing by resemblance, typical. Watch, and gives an example. This, they will say, was figurative and served by God's appointment, but for a time to shadow out the true glory of a more divine sanctity. Somebody says, preacher, I didn't get any of that. That's, that's why we have preaching, okay? Watch, watch. It shadows out the true glory of a more divine sanctity. It's just a foreshadowment. 
Okay, watch. Somebody says, oh, hell. Those kind of things, the words of the Bible, it's just figurative. I want to say, do you understand what figurative means? If I say, please, watch. Please describe a place of enormous torment and suffering. And you say, well, I can't really hit the nail on the head. I can't really describe its full severity or intensity, like we just read. So by saying fire, I'll just be figurative. You know what? Now, let me ask you, does that mean it would be worse than the pain caused by fire or less worse than the pain caused by fire, if I'm figurative? It would mean it's worse. (laughs) I want to say you're playing it off and dumbing it down like, oh, it's nothing. But you just said it's worse than fire. That's what you just said. Ignorant. No, really, it's ignorant to say something like that. Can you imagine anything worse than fire? I remember 9-11. Some people here weren't even born when that happened. But we're reminded of it probably yearly. We see the anniversary of it and so forth. The most shocking thing to me was people were jumping out or falling out of the 70th, 80th, floor or whatever it was. And I, I remember thinking, boy, I, I, I have a healthy respect for heights. I don't have a phobia of heights. It doesn't bother me every day or anything. That would, be the, that would be the definition of a phobia. But I have a healthy respect for heights. And I think most people do. And I think if you got a brain, you normally do. I don't like to get to a cliff and kind of like teeter-totter on a leg and look down like, man, that's neat. That's good. You know, kind of a dirt cliff or something. I kind of like, I, I kind of get down, you know, looking, oh yeah, that's neat. I have a healthy respect for heights. I would even say, I would dare say, most people during, on that day probably had a re- healthy respect for heights. Somebody says, why would they do that? And there's only one answer to that. They would rather face that than the consequence of fire. Fire. You know, you can take the most fearless creature on the face of this earth. And I'll tell you one thing they all fear. One thing they'll stay away from is fire. Physical pain caused by fire. Oh, yeah. Now, we'll get to that here. I, well, let me say this. I, we were at once in France. Don't ask me why. You know why the French battleships have a glass bottom? so that they can see the rest of their fleet. Anyway, as a, just, just a little European information for you. I throw it in every once in a while. But we're in France going through a castle. And, we're, and the women are like looking at, and my parents and some other preachers, and the women are looking at the tapestry and they're like, oh man, look at this. And oh man, look at that. And if you've seen German castles, why, why would you be impressed by French castles, you know, but anyway, we're, the men are going through and like, yeah, how many linen can you look at? You know, I mean, good grief. But we found out in the middle of the tour that there was a torture chamber in the basement. And the men are like, yes, yes, <laughs> finally, I'm awake. So we go down to the torture chamber. The women are like, oh, we don't want to see that. You know, they want to see the bedding and the tapestry, all that. So that's fine. That's fine. So we go down there and we go through. But I must say, it is horrific to acknowledge or to realize what the human mind can conjure up 
could torture other human beings. It's quite amazing. They had stretch benches. They had a thing called the iron, like an iron maiden type, iron something, where they put a human being in and they had it open and it looked like it was just randomly spears or sharp objects, but they said it wasn't random at all. They'd put a human being in and then wham, close it. And it would pierce them, but yet not pierce any vital organs, prolonging, watch, the bleeding and the death and the pain to maximize it. I remember thinking, who would come up with something like that? And all the things that they had, to my surprise though, at the end of the tour, they had a big poster or a big picture of a man being burned at the stake. And they said, underneath it said, but steer the most feared and the most severe torture was caused by fire. Fire. For the physical body, probably nothing compares to it. But that's not all. Follow with me closely, watch. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he's called to remember, and he did remember, because we know he said, would someone go to my brothers? He remembered. He knew. He's called to remember two things. One, sometimes studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God, there's gems and things we can pick off right at the surface. Some things we have to dig for. One thing I think we can immediately see is, when he said, remember the good things that thou hadst. Remember those. All, hey, all the food, all the pleasures, sin even, yet for a season. That's what the Bible says. All the women, all the parties. Now he remembers those things. But watch, yet never to come again. Never to experience again. And I know he can see here, but in the lake of fire, I believe, the Bible indicates very clearly, a place of utter darkness, I think the only thing you'll ever see in the lake of fire are the memories that flash before, so to speak, your eyes of this life. And you wish you could forget. You wish you could probably go mad. You wish you could go out of your mind. But you never forget being in hell and in the lake of fire. And he remembers the good things that he will never, ever experience again. But then Abraham also calls him to remember and likewise Lazarus evil things. I remember reading this for the first time like studying it out and I remember thinking why? Why should I remember that? Well let me ask you something. Watch. Just think with me. Put your mind into gear. It's good. It's good. When you hear preaching, think. Okay? Do you think Lazarus ever witnessed to this man? You think he did? Oh, preacher, I keep on reading it. It never says anywhere that he did. <laughs> but a lot of times we can gather things just by the response. Sometimes what is not said speaks louder than what is said. Well, let me ask you this. If Lazarus, if it was a total surprise and shock to him that Lazarus was on the other side, and he knew the truth... He knew how to get there, but it never told him. How do you think his response had been after seeing Lazarus? Something like, well, you jerk. 
had some few choice words probably. Why did you never tell me? Probably. But you know, it's quite the opposite. He said, would you send, watch, Lazarus? Somewhat like, you know, he had compassion upon me while I was alive. Surely he'll have compassion upon me now while I'm in hell. Oh, let me ask you this. If someone never witnessed to you or did a sloppy job of witnessing to you, would you ask for him to be sent back to tell your brothers? I wouldn't. <laughs> Not in your life. But he asked him. And I think specifically because he knew he had told me the truth. He told me. Picture with me. Friends coming over to his house. Where did they go by? The gate. Who's laid at the gate? Lazarus. Oh, they, ooh, ugh, the smell. Well, act like you don't see him. You know what I mean? Don't acknowledge him. Don't talk to him. They go through. They're up there having a good time and just carrying on, whatever they're doing. And one of them looks out and says, hey, rich man. Hey, who's that guy laying at your gate? And he goes, oh, just some beggar named Lazarus. Don't know what to do with him. Can't get rid of him. You know, I would, but it doesn't look good in the papers. You get a guy taken out like that or whatever. And later on, he goes through the gate himself. Lazarus said, hey, hey, can I tell you about the greatest? Can I, can I share with you what life's really about? Can I tell you the greatest thing that's ever happened to me? And probably he would just about then interrupt him and say, now let's get one thing straight. I'm the rich man. You're the beggar. If anybody's going to tell anybody how it is, it'll be me, you, not you, me. Shuts him up. I'm just using my imagination. But I'm just telling you, I believe there's beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lazarus had witnessed to him, had tried to witness to him at least, but he remembers how he treated him. The one who tried to help him. The one who tried to give him food that would go into everlasting life. He gave crumbs. Nothing. They see dogs come and lick his swords, they laugh. That's how he treated him. Hey, people will remember things, but the, the saddest thing, the thing that it caused most pain, are the opportunities they had to receive Christ. And the rejection thereof. Somebody knocking on their door. Could we, could we invite you to church? Could I give you something to read? We'd have time. I don't want to hear it. Not now! They'll never forget that. The rejection of the gospel. Opportunities they had. Pain even for lost people. When they remember how they drove and took somebody out because they were drunk. I can't even imagine military people coming back out of war and conflict and the memories, and it causes pain. Oh, memories can cause pain. But nothing like the pain of rejecting the gospel. No. I fear that's not all. Watch. Verse 26. Abraham said, besides all this, between us and you, he says on top of this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. 
This shows, watch, the hopelessness of hell. The unchanging doom of the lost sinner. There's no hope. I, I, I mean, I, I enjoy sports. I, I grew up playing sports. And man, there's nothing better than a comeback win. And the only way to come back where you think we'll never come back is to never lose that hope. You know what I mean? Urgh! But listen, when you're in hell, there's nothing to hope for. There's nothing to hope for. Picture with me. First time I'm studying this out, I remember thinking, why did he ask for Lazarus to dip his finger in water, touch his tongue? Cool his tongue. I remember thinking, what? What? I remember thinking, we'd go out, we'd play basketball, and we were, you know, young teenagers. In the, in the, at the hottest point of day, go out with nothing to drink. Why? You know? And we play basketball until we basically, we were just parched. And then we're like, man, where's something to drink? Man, I wish I had something to drink. And watch, somebody comes over and says, hey, hey guys, don't worry. I'll dip my finger in this water, touch your tongue. That'd do it. I would have said, what? You must be out of your mind. I remember thinking, what? What is this going to do? Is that all you got, rich man? Is that all you're going to ask for? Well, I think this rich man, at least by earthly means, was not a fool. But I think one thing he noticed real quick, I'm not the authoritative one here. There's, Laz there's Abraham. I'm not the one calling the shots here. I'm not the boss anymore. Watch. This is surely what he must have thought. I will ask for the most minute insignificant thing I can ask for. Surely they cannot deny me this. Never was considered. Abraham did say, well, what do you think, Lazarus? You want to go over? You want to do it? No. Totally ignored. And I think then and there the rich man realized, there is no hope for me. Nothing I can ask for will ever be heard. And watch. In their prayers, he said, I pray thee therefore. I know, but there's probably a lot of prayers going on in hell right now. Probably more than on earth. Would you agree with me? Probably. But I submit unto you, they'll never reach the ears of God. For they're out of the mind of God. And they're separated from God. A man asked me one time after I preached uh, a series on this. He said, I don't understand, preacher. Why is Abraham the authoritative one and not God? Because he can't call on God. The time of grace, the time while you can find me, as long as you can find me, it's over. It's not there to be had. And Abraham's the one answering the questions. I remember one preacher put it this way. He said, if one loved one of yours is in danger of hellfire, how alarmed and anxious you ought to be in your entreaties, how fervent your prayers, how sleepless your efforts to save them from the doom of lost souls. Yes, if men are going to hell, this is so terrible that bonds of kinship and family ought not be the limit to our prayers and efforts. 
If there's one man on earth, even a total stranger, even an unknown savage who may go to hell, then every person who has yet any milk of human kindness, any care for neighbor, any love for his fellow man ought to, ought to have a consuming passion to rescue that poor soul. And to saints and sinners alike, the question of hell becomes one of alarming importance. We ought to learn of hell to escape it ourselves and rescue others from it. I just want to ask you one question this morning. Do you know, well actually two, but one, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Do you know where you'll spend eternity? Well, preacher, I tell you what, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I've done, if you knew, hey, listen, this rich man actually in this portion of Scripture says, Father Abraham, he says, Father, and Abraham acknowledges it, son, do you realize he could probably, in his genealogy, go all the way back to Abraham, but it didn't rescue him from a place called hell. And all his money didn't rescue him. And maybe all the things he had done didn't rescue him. But there's one thing, and one thing alone, which is Christ and the sacrificial, watch, blood that he put, poured out on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, you cannot add anything to it, nor take it away. The only thing you can do is believe it, and receive it, and accept it. It's the only thing. But for Christians, the question is simply this. Listen, Psalms 126 and verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again re with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The question for you, Christian, is this. Where are the tears? Where are the tears? Yeah, there's some preachers out there, they cry a lot when they preach. I do sometimes. <laughs> Not on purpose. Some preachers never cry. But watch. But I bet you cry, they cry at least on the inside. But there's a brokenheartedness about it. Amen. Where are the tears? Somebody once said, could you summarize it? What, how bad really is hell? And I said, the only way I can maybe summarize it in just a couple of sentences is this. Let me ask you this. Who was hell made for? It wasn't made for man, but the devil and his angels. One angel of the Lord took out 185, is it 185,000 Syrian soldiers one night? Just like that. And they're higher beings than we are. You know, one thing I did notice in that torture chamber is none of those torture things were made for children. None. Somebody says, why would you even think that? Watch. Watch, because to submit a child to that, wouldn't that be so horrific beyond belief? Not even their enemies would do that. But I'm still lacking in, watch, an example to show you surely what it must mean for that which can torture Lucifer and his angels for a human being to be thrown into that and be tormented and tortured for all eternity. 
The only question I have is, where's the compassion? Where's, where are the tears? Somebody says, well, I, I just, I'm not real broken hearted about those kind of things, preacher. Then you don't bring your sheaves with you. Then your life won't go out and bring them in. No, there must be, watch, a brokenness to get saved, but we should never get over the, the, those that are going to the same place we would have gone to. There should be a brokenness for us continually for them and their souls in eternity. Yeah. Now, where are the tears? Where's the fruit? Who, because of you, will escape hell? Be in heaven. No, you didn't save them, but you shared the gospel. You gave them the light. You introduced them to the Savior because of a brokenness, because of compassion, because of tears. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. It is powerful. You know our lives. You know our desires. You know what we're interested in. You know what we spend our lives for. Lord, I do pray that we might be reminded. I'm sure this is not new, but I, that we might be reminded how horrible and how terrible the doom of lost sinners is. And that we might ask ourselves, how sleepless are our efforts? Can we just live beside people, yet never having told them, never having warned them, never having shared with them, and live with ourselves, never having tears, never having compassion? You were motivated by love to send your son that we might be saved. Where are our tears? Where is our compassion? Where is our love for people that are going to this place? Lord, we do sing the song, Throw Out the Lifeline. Throw out the lifeline. Someone is singing today, but they just don't sing somewhere. They go to a place called hell. Remind us and press upon our hearts. May we never forget that we can share the words of life. We can make the difference so that people might not go to this place. Impress upon the heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.